All right. Well, this is a little different. I don't know how many people are out there watching. That's a little, that's a little different than it is on Sunday morning when I've got all like seven people here. Um, they're going to have to laugh very loudly at all my jokes for me to know I'm doing all right. Um, yeah, there you go. Perfect. Awkward laugh is the best. Um, some of you took a casual day a little far this morning. I don't know if uh, John told you that I can see you also through the video, so I can see what you guys are... No, I can't. I'm just kidding. But Emma's wearing new shoes today, and I need to comment on the fact that Emma's church shoes, she got to wear them this morning, but just not here. You're going to want to... Um, you're going to want to probably get your Bible. So if you've got a Bible, you need to get a Bible from, your, from wherever it is and have it handy. We'll have those passages up on the screens. At least that's the plan. And, um, but if, especially if you're looking at a, at a phone or something, you're, they're going to be small. So you may want to pull out a Bible and have it handy um, and ready to go as well. Um, I do want to make a couple of comments, of course. One, um, if we'll take just a second and thank in your mind, thank God in a minute, we'll pray um, for the medical professionals and first responders and all those people who, um, you know, we're, we're not, we don't have a lot of people here, but they probably have a lot of people where they are today. And so, um, and that's a really, honestly, a big, big part of why we've chosen to do this is to help out that community, especially the, the least, those who are most struggling, the ones with medical issues or, or elderly or those types. That's who we're trying to be gentle with in making this decision today to be aware of and to be um, helpful to and then them as well. Um, that's really our main motivation for doing this. This is not, as John said and others, and you've seen written, like this isn't about some kind of fear or anything like that. This is just having, we have the freedom to make this call. And, and a lot of churches don't today. They're, they're meeting in hiding or they're meeting in, uh, under persecution in the world. And so we, the fact that we have the freedom to do this and then to do it online as well is just a huge, amazing uh, opportunity that we have um, and, and to kind of follow up with that this morning, um, Carrie Larch sent us all an encouraging message this morning that says to, um, that we should love like Jesus Christ and wash our hands like Pontius Pilate. So um, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good motivation. We, that, that there's so many great memes out there today that I'm just going to stick with that one. We have this incredible blessing. We're so encouraged um, to get to be here together. And, uh, and thankfully to the audiovisual team and the band and all the new people who are running the live aspects, the greeters who are here greeting people, because... A few of you missed the message that we were going to be online only today, so we had, uh, we had donuts for you. The rest of them, we're just the seven of us are having to split that huge you know, order of donuts, but we'll, we'll struggle through. I'm just kidding. We didn't do that. Um, okay, so then, then we strike this, and before we pray this week, talking about the fact that this is going to be this real challenge this week, how do we connect to this passage? So here we are in the book of Daniel. And we're really wrestling through how do we connect with a, a story about some people whose lives are disrupted, um, who are living in exile, who are separated out from their normal community. And try as we might, I just couldn't come up with any good analogies to connect to that. So, so in a minute, we're just going to jump straight into the passage um, anyway, because that's what we're teaching about. Um, and so often we picture an old Daniel standing resolutely, strongly in front of a group of lions, and we miss this, we jump past this probably scared, lonely, uncertain kid who never really comes across as scared and lonely and uncertain, but he, he had to have been. I mean, there's just no way. He's still a normal human being. And so um, anyway, we, we want to pray for ourselves, for our time today, for those who are serving in so many different ways. And, uh, and then we will jump back, it, back into uh, to Daniel chapter one. Father, again, for the families who are joining with us today, for the, for the people who in their rooms, in their apartments, 
um, on their phones, wherever they are, Lord, I, I pray that you would give a strong sense of the power of your Holy Spirit who is not limited by location, um, who is not limited by any of those type of things, would bond our hearts together, that our, our souls would be knit to one another even as we're separated. And Lord, I know there are hundreds, maybe thousands of churches around the country who just like us for the first time maybe are doing the, the live church thing. And um, God, I, I ask your blessings on them as well. Um, there's going to be a lot of, of companies and corporations and businesses that are changed by all of this very quickly. And, and I pray for your blessings, that you would help us to know how to be kind and gentle and how to come alongside them. And, and uh, even as we just face all the people whose lives are changed by us not having church this morning, greeting uh, in, in this place, not hosting it in this place, but instead in other places, Lord. That's, that's a big deal. So, Lord, I ask that, uh, that you would teach us through this, that you would help us to learn what it means to live in faith at a different level. And, uh, and we ask this according to your son's awesome and magnificent name. Amen. All right, so as we're looking at our heroes of the story, um, as we're looking at our heroes here in Daniel chapter 1, if you remember correctly from before, they are good-looking, well-educated, quick-to-learn things, competent. These are, the best way I can think to describe these guys is these are the guys who you want your daughters and your granddaughters to be marrying. Like, they're, they are the apex version of what it means to be um, godly young men. Um, the, they are good choices for protagonists. They're good choices to be heroes for our story. Um, probably royalty. Again, like we described them, they face impossible odds. And so in the midst of this, I want to create the right picture for us in our minds of what these, what we look like, what these guys would look like. So, um, so here we have, th there's, these guys are a little, I guess, probably a little too Asian here for, for that group. But this is, like, you get a lot of the young people who are watching this, you'll, you know who these guys are. Um, this, this type of mentality, the boy band, uh, is kind of what I kept jumping to. Um, I got another one. Well, they're Jewish enough, but that's otherwise I think they missed the mark. Um, moving on. Okay, obviously this would, be a, this would be very, very close. I like this group. Um, hold on this picture for a second. I really just, when I pictured the three Hebrew children we get to next chapter, hold these guys in your mind. That's exactly what I think they would have looked like. I think that's, that's, that really nails what they look like. But I needed four, so I found the perfect group of four who I thought would, would probably be um, exactly what you need to picture in your mind, right? Um, as we're moving forward through these guys. Um, maybe as old as 14 years old, we know that the Persians um, did special training from age 13 to 16 for young men. And so maybe that's exactly, maybe the Persians got that from the Babylonians. Um, so maybe, they're, maybe these boys are 13 years old or even younger as we picture them. Um, Josephus would later, Josephus, the, the historical, the Jewish historian, would later claim that all four were members of Zedekiah's family. So literally royalty under the king. Um, and what's wild is we're talking still already about Daniel and these kids, but we haven't even met them in the passage yet. We're going to today. Uh, but their people, their parents, their ancestors had been disobeying God's clear instruction about the Sabbath, about worship, about idols, and God has warned them through several prophets. And we looked at one last week. Here's another one. Jeremiah warns that Judah must not stand against Babylon. Um, here in Jeremiah 21, afterwards declares the Lord... I will give Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and his servants and the people in this city who survive the pestilence, sword, and famine into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and into the hands of their enemies, and into the hand of those who seek their lives. He shall strike them down with the edge of the sword, and he shall not pity them or spare them or have compassion. Jeremiah is prophesying exactly what's going to happen. Now you understand why that king we talked about last week tore up Jeremiah's prophecies 
uh, because he didn't really like what they said. Always a dangerous thing that when you don't like something in Scripture to ignore it or tear it up. Um, when this happened, the four boys are about to meet um, that were, they had the potential to stand before the king and not embarrass themselves or their managers. In Nebuchadnezzar's court, the severance package was severe. Um, you did not want to mess up with Nebuchadnezzar. It was a good way to get killed in a hurry. So these boys are going to be given every advantage. That's where we pick up in Daniel 1, 5. As these boys are going to give them the advantage, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So here they're going to be learning languages is one of the things. Probably, by the way, four new languages in addition to the ones they already knew. They were, losing, they were going to learn new customs which fork to use and not to use, the religious calendars, who the members of the courts were. Um, it's good when we jump into this to recognize it's okay when we learn things that aren't true as long as we understand that they're not true. It, it's okay to know that two plus two isn't five. Um, and so it's, it's okay to understand mathematical principles and things that are not true. Um, years ago, um, you may have heard this in a sermon I heard a preacher say, and then I repeated it for years, that um, Secret Service agents only just only study um, correct dollar bills. They don't study the counterfeits or the errors. They only study the correct ones because that allows them. And so they, that allows them to spot the false ones, so they only study the real ones. And I said that in front of a couple that was actually had worked in the Secret Service in the counterfeit department, and they came up and were like, yeah, that preaches really well, but... No, we study all of them. We, we study the fakes, we study the counterfeits, and we study the real things. So it's, it's okay to know what is there. It's okay to learn these things. So these guys are learning about foreign gods. They're learning about foreign religion. The question is, what are they going to do with that knowledge? It's not evil that they learn it. What's dangerous is what are they going to do with it? So they're trained like young kings. They're eating, literally, they are eating like kings because they are eating the food that the king eats. Um, these guys had every advantage. They're going to be bigger and stronger than, <coughs> than most of the other people in the kingdom. Now we finally get to learn, meet them. Chapter, verse 6. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So as we finally meet them and pretty much everything we know from them, everything they know about life is going to be taken from them. Their nation has been taken from them. Um, maybe for Texans it would be even as important that their state was taken from them, right? They're forced to move. It's a wild concept. Their homes are taken their families are taken, their temple is taken, their bodies are taken. This is a tough one even for us to talk through. There's different opinions um, that the word that's translated eunuch um, here can be, can mean official. Um, it can mean that. And so sometimes in some translations it will talk about that, that the person who's overseeing the officials, the chief of the officials, um, but really probably this does mean eunuch. Um, and so here we're talking about almost certainly, as shocking as this would be for us, that, that, that Daniel and his friends were probably surgically made into eunuchs when they were brought into Nebuchadnezzar's court, which teaches us a whole lot about faith and even masculinity and all kinds of other things. But that's, that's kind of amazing when you consider what these guys have taken from them. And maybe most powerfully, in some ways, their names are taken from them. 
Um, now, the Hebrews have a practice of changing names. We've seen that plenty of times. The names have special meaning. Um, we see lots of different people renamed in Scripture. Um, obviously, the Saul to Paul, Abram to Abraham, Sarah to Sarai. Um, we see this all through Scripture. But this is meant to teach. There's something being taught here to these boys. There's something being changed about their name in order to change not just their name, but their identity. So, for example, Daniel. Anytime you see the word L in a name, E-L, that's going to be the Semitic reference to God. It's his title, God. So Daniel, Daniel is going to be L, God. L is my judge. That's what's being referenced here. That's his name. So when Daniel's mother gave him a name, she intentionally made his name L is my judge. What a great name, by the way, if he was the prince, if he was going to be the next king to recognize, know your entire life from beginning to ending, that by the, when you get to the end, your judge will not be man, your judge will not be other people, your judge will be God himself. Great, great consideration for us. His name is changed, though, to Belteshazzar. Now, this, this has a couple of different... When we looked at it this week, and, and Paul and John and I were talking about it, we were stunned. We shouldn't have been, but we were stunned at how many different possible things these names can mean. Um, and Because we're just still confused a lot about the languages that were being used at that time and that kind of stuff. But here are some of the best guesses. This either is a reference to Baal protect the king, or Bel's prince, or it may even be lady meaning the wife of Marduk, we'll talk about this in a second, protect the king. So we'll talk about who Bel was in just a second. Then you have Hananiah. Now when you see Yah, so we have Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, that's their Hebrew names, which is what, I call, what I'm going to be calling them throughout this whole time we talk about them. So Hananiah, Yah, when you see Yah in a name, you're going to be talking about Yah as in Yahweh the name for God. So Hananiah means Yah has been gracious. Shadrach, which is the name given to him, means I am fearful of the gods, or maybe I exalt Aku. Aku being in the midst of there. So Shadrach, that Aku, we'll talk about who the god Aku was, Aku was in a second. Mishael, which is the same name as Michelle or Michael, for example. When we see the word Michael, um, so if you're, if you're watching Michael, this is you, all the Michaels who might be. So Mishael, who is like El? Again, God, who is like God? This is my middle name, Michael. Who is like God? It's a question. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nobody. No one's like God. No one is like El. So Mishael, who is like God, is changed to Meshach. I am devoted to Aku. Or maybe, I am of little account, presumably before the gods. Very different. Azariah, so you, now you catch the Yah, you heard that. Azariah, Yah has helped me. To Abednego, the servant of Nabu, the servant of Nago. Same, same name, different, same person, two different names for the same person. The servant of the shining one. So you know who El is. This is the Jewish name for God. You know who Yahweh is. This is God's name for himself. But who do you know who these others are? We often don't. So let's, let's, we're going to lay some more groundwork here. Here we are. We're going to have to stop and pause and lay some more groundwork again. Here we go. 
Marduk. Um, Marduk, I think we have a picture. Yeah, we don't have lots of stuff from Marduk, I mean, from any of these gods, but what we have. Marduk, over time, became kind of the lead of the gods. He became Bel, or as we see him sometimes in Scripture, eventually Baal. That really the concept of this Lord, Baal just means Lord, Baal means Lord. So this concept of Lord, God, that came from Marduk. Eventually, he, the Babylonians who developed this God, this became the Zeus of the Greeks, the Jupiter of the Romans. Over time, other gods were seen essentially aspects of his persona. Um, some people still say the Genesis account is similar to the Babylonian myth of creation. I personally don't see it. Um, so I'll give you the quick version. This is an image of the creation story. Um, that, that here's the creation story that goes, and I'm going to give you the extremely edited down version of this. But Tiamat was the great monster dragon god, and, and kind of like a titan for the Greeks and the Romans. Um, she was the embodiment of chaos. And Marduk's heroic task was to kill Tiamat because of her terror and abuse of the other gods. So he used a giant net and magical winds to trap her and then shot her with an arrow uh, when she was inflated with the magical winds. He then shot her with an arrow. And, uh, and then he used part of her body to create the Ark of the Sky. And he used her eyes to create the Tigris and Euphrates River and other parts to make mountains and lands and stuff like that. And then he made his own, Marduk did, in Babylon and created humans to serve him and to work his land. They were essentially slaves to him. What's wild is he's really nothing like Yahweh. Um, at most, Marduk is a recreator. He creates from things that are already there. He builds out of what Tiamat is. Notice that he's in conflict, in combat with the chaos before creation, unlike Yahweh. Yahweh doesn't combat the nothingness, the void. Yahweh just speaks into it. He just gives it instructions and it does it. There's no, there's no one for Yahweh to conquer at creation. Yahweh says light and there's light. He says land and there's land. He says water and there's water. It's very different. Marduk wars with creation. It does not obey his word. Very different from the God that Daniel would have grown up with. Then we have Sarpanitum, who is the lady of Marduk. So again, if you go back to this idea of, of the lady in, in Daniel's name, potentially, this is the mother goddess um, and the goddess of fertility. The, the main New Year's event that the Babylonians did every year, which is a, was a big, big deal, was meant to recognize the wedding of, of Marduk and Sarpanitum, um, which involved a lot of things that are unmentionable even in an empty church room. Um, Mylita, which is a goddess, um, and usually that picture, those pictures up for them, because um, the, all the female goddesses are kind of looked similarly in the Babylonian world. The goddess of fertility from the Assyrian pantheon, but she was still worshipped in Babylon. Um, so Herodotus, a lot of what we know about Babylon comes from a, a, a historian named Herodotus, who visited Babylon about a hundred years after Nebuchadnezzar and wrote about it. Um, and so I'm going to read Herodotus's words. And, and it'll be something that maybe some of the, the parents can connect to. Every woman, this was part of the worship of Mylita um, in Babylon. Every woman was required at least once in her life to worship Mylita by sitting near the temple and waiting for a total stranger to choose her, as Herodotus says, to do commerce with her. It was forbidden for her to know the man. It was forbidden for her to deny him. Herodotus goes on to explain the level of evil that he saw just a hundred years later in this act of worship. 
as, as women were debased in such a horrible way so that extremely attractive women, the horror of being chosen quickly was terrifying. As was the chosen, the, the, the problem of a woman who would sit out in front of the temple, sometimes Herodotus says, for years and years, not being chosen. So the, the level of just the, the war against the women of the culture through the worship of Mylita is, is pretty shocking. Then you have Aku, who was the moon god. Not much is known about him. He was, the, he was represented by the moon and the worship of him. And there seems to be a strong connection between Aku and Nab, Nabu. Nabu is the son of Marduk. Um, every year there's a ceremony in which his statue is moved to Babylon from his own city um, to honor his father, Marduk, the god of the scribe and the scribe of the gods. Literacy, wisdom, and he was responsible to write down the fates of humans. Nebuchadnezzar, the name Nebuchadnezzar, obviously has this concept, this God's name in it as well. So again, we go from four names that honor the God of the Hebrew people to four names that now are meant to identify these four boys with the gods of the Babylonians. This is, this is such a significant picture um, it's, a hard, it's hard to find an equivalent in today's world. Maybe, maybe it would be similar to um, religions that, that are more, even more focused on names, like Islam. If, we were, if you were captured by Islamic terrorists and they changed your name to Muhammad. But even that doesn't do justice because Muhammad was a prophet, not a god. Um, there's, it's really hard to imagine in our, day, in our day and age what this would be like to have somebody begin to call you new names and your new names to be directly um, in opposition to the name you grew up with. What is Daniel's response? What's Daniel going to do? Does he rebel? Does he start setting fire to things? Does he become a juvenile delinquent? Like, what does he do here? Does he conform? Does he just stick with these names? Okay, this is what we're going to go with. This is good. He faces his first battle right here, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. This verse harkens back to verse 5. He has the same food as the king. Why would it defile Daniel to eat this food? Let me just tell you, you get lots of opinions and commentaries because it doesn't tell us. Is the issue that, that this food did not fit with the Jewish eating laws? Possibly that's part of it. Is it the fact that it was sacrificed to other gods? before it was given to the king, that it was dedicated to gods before it was given to the king? That's extremely likely. Um, I like that one. Is it just because Daniel wants to stand out already that he wants to say, I'm not like these people. I'm going to make a choice that's different. They could call me by a different name. They could give me different food, but I'm going to choose not to do this one thing. I'm going to stand out in this one way. That's a real possibility. There's a lot of views on this, what is key is that Daniel is making a decision. He sees it. Here's what matters. Daniel sees this through his understanding of Scripture and of God, that it would defile him. It would, be, it would be insulting to God in order for him to eat this food. So he decides not to do it. 
So he asked the king of the eunuchs to allow him to do this. So again, we immediately see Daniel follow the chain of command. This is such a great lesson. Young people very often today, my generation was the first generation not to go through military service, at least but not, not to be drafted into military service. And so it's, it's that without, without the basic concepts, unless you work in some place that creates this mindset or you, or you worked in a military type setting or you're raised by a parent who did this well, um, it's, this whole concept of authority is really tough for us. And so here you have Daniel. Daniel's first response isn't to just, again, pitch over the food and make a huge fit about it. The first thing he does is follow the chain of command. And so he goes to his boss and he says, hey, I don't, I don't want to eat this food. I think it would defile me. Can I not eat this food? That's where he starts. So God, it tells us in verse 9, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Now, I intentionally kind of misled us at the beginning of this by saying, look at our awesome protagonists. They're young, they're good-looking, they're super smart, um, they're exactly the kind of thing that the kind of kind of guy that you'd want your daughter to be dating. But I misled us because the protagonist of Daniel is never Daniel and his friends Dan, to the degree that that's up to Daniel. Daniel never puts the credit for the goodness of this story with himself or with his friends. Daniel always comes out because remember Daniel's writing this, even though it's in third person. Daniel is the one writing this story. So look at where Daniel puts the emphasis. What allows Daniel to get away with this? It tells us in verse 9, God gave Daniel favor. We're going to see this over and over again. People are going to try to give Daniel credit for things, and Daniel is not the protagonist of Daniel's life. God is the protagonist in Daniel's life. This is a great lesson for us. It's an awesome lesson for us. I, I, I totally get this. This should be a clue as to how we set our minds on living in a culture that may not be in favor with our beliefs. We aren't really the protagonist here. Some of you think like I do. I always identify with the protagonist. Um, in my mind, I am the protagonist. My kids will tell you, I enjoy a movie or a story to the degree I feel like I can put myself in the role of the hero. And the, and the people make good decisions, and I'm asking myself, is this what I would do in that situation? And if the people do things that are ridiculous, I'm like, no one would do that because I wouldn't. That's, that's my joy so much in things. I, I didn't even strike me till later in life that there were people who re read a story of King Arthur, and they don't identify with King Arthur. I just do. I don't, I'm, I'm, that may be super proud. I've no, I may be confessing something here, but that's what I did. I always did that. I identified with Robin Hood. The thought that there were people who identified with Sir Gawain or Sir Galahad or that they identified with Little John never struck my, made no sense to me. Um, now, catch in mind that my intuition was since I was Arthur, other people were those people. I'm, I'm, I'm admitting that one. Like automatically, when I was going to play a game with my friends, like, I'll be Robin Hood, you be Little John. I remember the first time a friend of mine was like, well, I, why can't I be Robin Hood? It's like, because, I, because I'm Robin Hood. Like, this is not hard. I'm Robin Hood. You're, I remember that huge fight. I'm Luke Skywalker. Who do you want to be? Because I don't care as long as I'm Luke Skywalker because he's clearly the protagonist. This was a natural thing for me. It is still intuitive for me to not think of God as the protagonist in my story, but that's wrong. For me to consistently be coming back to this idea is very important. And Daniel is a fantastic reminder to us of this. God is still king. Yes, he gives us great power and authority and amazing different things that we could do in a story to tell. All that is fantastic. I love to be a David. But in life, God has also taught me to love being a mighty man. 
especially when it's to a king like God is. It's still his story. And we're going to see it. By the way, that starts all the way back. If you go back now, if you go all the way back to the very beginning of this chapter, of chapter 1, verse 1, when it talks about how God was the one in action. God is the one creating this exile in the first place. So here's what, in verse 10, here's what the chief of the eunuch says. The chief of the eunuch says to Daniel, I fear the Lord my king, who assigned your food and your drink. Why should he see that you're in worse condition than the youths are of your own age? You would endanger my head with the king. Now, this, this, this account of Daniel going toe-to-toe with the chief of the eunuchs, with Ashpenaz on this model. And by the way, you can see very easily, it, isn't, it turns out it doesn't have to be combative. Things don't always have to be combative with the people in authority. Even if they're, even if they're authority uh, based on something evil, it doesn't have to be combative. We don't have to create combat where it doesn't exist. And so here you have Daniel very reasonably, very appropriately, very much so in deference to the authority of Ashpenaz and understanding Ashpenaz's position goes to him and says, hey, I don't, I don't like this. This food, for me to eat this food would defile me. It, I, have a, I have an issue with it from a religious perspective. Is it okay if I eat something else? And Ashpenaz says, essentially, I don't care what you eat. But if you start looking weak and frail and poor and you don't look like you're, you're thriving like the other kids are, you've got to imagine there were probably a lot of other kids in this situation who were there at the same time. And Ashpenaz says, how's it going to look if I make this okay and then you, you look worse than these other kids do? So that's the fear he's got. You would endanger my life with the king. Now, I'm going to pick up, when we pick up next time, we're going to talk about this. Because one of our crises that we face sometime in our world today, which is ridiculous, but we do, is the idea that scientific discovery is somehow at odds with Christian faith. What we're about to see is the science, is the process of scientific discovery in action. You're going to see Daniel, he's going to create a hypothesis He's going to give it to Ashpenaz. There's going to be a control group, and there's going to be a study group, and then he's going to run a test, and he's going to say, here's how you evaluate it afterwards. Not only is scientific reasoning and teaching line up with Christian thinking, it is largely dependent upon Judeo-Christian thinking that says, we live in a rational universe that makes sense with a God who creates rules that make sense. That's why so many of the early scientists were Christians, were monks and students and stuff like that. That's, that's not a challenge for us. It shouldn't be a challenge for us. But maybe even more significantly, where we're going to go from this week, the question is, how's Daniel going to handle this? How's he going to handle the glad you asked question when he goes, you would endanger me with the king. What are I supposed to do? What if you look worse? And Daniel's saying, well, I'm so glad you asked because I have an idea for this. Here's the thought for us to close on today. This isn't our story, except in the ways that our story are part of his story. This is a huge comfort. It, it doesn't necessarily make us feel better at the emotional level that we're not all meeting here today, which we love doing. I mean, I, I, I love the gathering together, the saints here. It's one of my favorite things. While I was on sabbatical, I ended up coming back twice because I missed everybody. I look forward to the day when we are able to gather back together, whether that's in three weeks or, or, or eight weeks. I have no idea. Uh, we will do our best with what God gives us to, to lead the best we can. That being said, 
I hope and pray that when we are able to be back together on Sunday morning, that it will be a packed house. Um, I, I hope it'll be a, an awesome time for us to regather and enjoy that. And in the meantime, my challenge is this. Even in a foreign land, even under with everything that has been changed for him, Daniel is still looking to please God and to serve him. And, and we can still minister under this situation. We get to invest in the next generation still. We firmly believe as a church, our belief is that the fundamental seat of human community is, is in the home. It's in our neighborhoods. That's, that's the, where, the, where the tip of the spear meets. The, the, the point of the spear hits is right there. And so for us to take the chance and to be able to say in freedom, we don't have to all gather here together in some building because the church is the church, capital C church, no matter where it is. We got people ministering all over the world right now who are connected to this body. Well, they're still part of us. They're still the church. This is still the same for us. We all know this up here. We're just getting the chance to practice it now, to recognize that, that whether, there's a, whether there's a steeple and whether there's a building or not, this is the church. And that's, that's who we get to be practicing with and get to enjoy. We get to invest that in a new level. So whatever, however your lives are changed over the next few weeks, make sure that we're sticking to this ambassador concept. We're not gathering here today um, because we're, that's not because we're afraid. We are giving the opportunity for us to be able to reach out into the community. That shouldn't stop. For us to be able to reach out and help people. Um, if, if you find yourself in a crisis, for example, you call our church and there's a hotline choice that you can choose and say, hey, I, I, we're in trouble. And, and we'll get you help. That's not going to end. That's, that's, that's even better who we are. And not meeting gives us more freedom to do that. Maybe we'll be well longer and we can serve each other and our people in our neighborhood a little bit longer. Um, our lives are disrupted and put into a situation to be enamored um, by the opulent culture. We want to connect our place rightly under Yahweh. Let our names, whether it's our literal names or not, always be one that brings us back to him. That he is our judge. He is who we serve. He is who brings us help. This is, this is what we want for our lives. So since we don't really have the opportunity for an altar call as in people to come forward, an invitation, but our assumption is wherever you are engaging with us in God's word, hopefully you've experienced a new level of comfort or a new level of, of understanding or you're living out faith in a new way. That's the prayer. And so we will pray. I'm going to pray. And then John will close out our time and, and Paul will close out our time. And, uh, and this has been a real cool adventure. I'm looking forward to seeing how this all played out. So, um, Father, we're so grateful for what you're doing. Um, we're grateful for the truth uh, that your spirit is not limited to a temple somewhere. It's not limited to a sanctuary somewhere. It's not limited to a building somewhere. And, in fact, every home, as John said earlier, every home where Christians are gathered by themselves, um, as singles, in, as couples, as families, as multi-family groups meeting together. Um, Lord, your spirit, your son is there as we gather together in his name. Your spirit unites us as the body. And Lord, I know that there's a thousand other pastors who are saying something very similar to this right now um, around the nation as they've done the same thing we have in an effort to, to come alongside our communities, to come alongside our nation. Um, Lord, that we have, in fact, uh, we've taken this at our expense and we're seeking to find a ways to bless each other. And so I pray that we'll be able to do that, Lord, today. We ask this in your son's awesome and magnificent name. Amen.
I'll be looking for further communication from us through emails and on the Facebook site, on the website, and um, we're all in this together. John?